Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Camp Wire, the American Camp Association's podcast about camp and youth development. I'm so excited to be here today interviewing one very special guest that I'm sure many of you are quite familiar with. I'll share a bit about him in a moment, but first, let me introduce myself. My name is Victoria Povolaitis, and I will be your host for today's episode. I recently graduated with my PhD focused on youth development at camp, and I am now a research associate with the American Camp Association. I've worked on the youth and staff impact studies with ACA in recent years, as well as many other camp-related research projects in the past. I also have experience in the camp industry as a staffing and program director. I'm really excited to be hosting today's episode of Campwire and speaking with Stephen Gray Wallace. Before we get into the conversation with Stephen, let me share a little bit about him and the inspiration behind today's podcast. Stephen Gray Wallace is a school psychologist, adolescent and family counselor, He's also a camp director, researcher, motivational speaker, and college professor. Stephen has been involved with ACA and our community for many years, contributing blog posts, joining us on the podcast before, and writing Camping Magazine articles. You can actually check out his most recent article in the May and June issue of Camping Magazine titled A Safe Space, From Trauma-Informed to Trauma-Infused, What to Know and How to Help. Most relevant to this conversation though, Stephen is the director of the Center for Adolescent Research and Education, which we will refer to as CARE. So now the inspiration behind today's podcast. Recently, a study from CARE and Total Brain has come out that investigated youth mental health and COVID-19. There have been a few articles written about this study, one on PR Newswire titled High Prevalence of Mental Health Risk Amid COVID-19 Pandemic, Taking a Serious Toll on US Students' Cognition and another in Psychology Today called Students' Mental Health is Not All Right. Based on total brain and care data, these articles point out that the precipitous rise in youth mental illness and suicides long preceded the pandemic of COVID-19, while also acknowledging that the virus has undoubtedly exacerbated these problems. As he is the director of care, Stephen Gray Wallace is here today to talk about this study and share his thoughts about youth mental health, COVID, and camp. Listen in to my conversation with Stephen. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Victoria. Um, just to get us started, I'd love if you could share with us a little bit about the Center for Adolescent Research and Education and all that you do with that organization. Uh, CARE is a national nonprofit uh, dedicated to increasing favorable youth outcomes and reducing risk. Uh, we're a collaborative, so we have about 50-some collaborating institutions and organizations, including the American Camp Association, uh, all across the country. Wow, that sounds like a great organization. And um, obviously, you're aware that we're here today talking about a lot of the different research that's been coming out of CARE and Total Brain recently. So if you could share with me a little bit, what was the initial impetus for this study uh, collaboration between CARE and Total Brain? So Victoria, we have a youth mental health crisis in America, one that long preceded the pandemic. Uh, in fact, data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say that after a stable period from 2000 to 2007, suicide rates for persons aged 10 to 24 increased uh, from 2007 to 2017. So a 10-year look back by 56%, just an enormous spike in youth suicides. 
the suicide rate for persons aged 10 to 14 declined from 2000 uh, to 2007 and then nearly tripled from 2007 to 2017. So we're seeing young people uh, at earlier and earlier ages contemplating and dying by suicide. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in six youth aged six to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% uh, by age 24. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people ages 10 to 34. So this is really in the wheelhouse of camps across the country, both when we're talking about uh, campers, uh, teen leaders, and certainly college-age staff. It's definitely a, a huge issue. A lot of these different mental health challenges, um, mental health disorders, obviously suicide is, is definitely something that uh, is at the forefront of many people's minds. And, and it's clear, you mentioned that this has been happening long before the pandemic, but it's clear that many people are actually suffering in a lot more intense ways, a lot more difficult ways during the pandemic. And obviously kids are no different. Um, so can you share with me a little bit about the mental health challenges that youth are suffering in light of the pandemic and why it's been exacerbated during this time? Uh, the challenges are, are really incredible. There's a lot of social isolation, as you know. There's a lot of social anxiety. Um, probably the most common uh, referrals are for depression and anxiety. Um, and I can talk more about that. Um, so we decided um, that we wanted to partner with Total Brain in order to use their assessment to look at the relationship between mental health and cognitive performance. And there's a very clear link between those two things. Uh, what we found was that 48% of high school and college students are at risk of general anxiety, 45% are at risk of social anxiety, and 39% are at risk for post-traumatic stress disorder. So those are some pretty significant numbers um, when we're looking at the ages of individuals attending and working at summer camps. Definitely. I think a lot of people, when they think about mental health disorders, depression, general anxiety, social anxiety, those are different different disorders that come to mind pretty easily and pretty quickly. And in light of the pandemic, it makes sense. Um, a lot of kids are obviously more isolated, uh, doing school online. A lot of out of school time activities are canceled. But one of the, the disorders you mentioned there that kind of took me by surprise was PTSD. Could you share a bit more about PTSD and how that comes into play given the pandemic and, and maybe how camp can work to address this? Sure. In fact, I have a new feature article out in this month's edition of Camping Magazine uh, called A Safe Space, which looks at what they call ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and the effect of trauma. And I, I think when people contemplate the concept of trauma, they imagine all kinds of scary traumatic events. But in fact, trauma can be sort of normal uh, emotional reactions to changes in life, a parent losing a job, um, a grandparent passing away. Uh, so it's, it's really a much broader spectrum of situations uh, than many people think is the case. And so we know that, you know, the kids that come to us in the summer, many of whom have experienced one or more ACEs in their lives. And the point of the article is, is how we move from being trauma-informed, which is a 
a great movement within education and camping to becoming trauma infused. And what do I mean by that? I mean, how do we get the information into the hands of the frontline caregivers at camp, which are the counselors who are living with, eating with, and, and teaching the children? Uh, and so the subtitle of the article is what to know and how to help. So it really outlines you know, what camp counselors need to know about trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder uh, and, and what they can do in their influential role as mentors to children at summer camp. That's fantastic. Are you able to give us a little sneak peek into maybe some of those tips or tricks uh, in dealing with trauma at summer camp? Well, yeah, it's, it's really about being tuned in uh, and practicing what I call a relational approach to camping as opposed to a transactional one. Um, I think we probably all work with people who are so focused on transactional things like making the trains run on time, getting the kids you know, to the activities on time, all the important, um, but it's really the relationships that define um, the summer camp experience. And when, when counselors take the time to develop those relationships and get to know the kids they're working with and by asking open-ended questions, um, how are you, how are you feeling, how's your day going? Um, information will start to come out from children as they become acclimated to their camp counselors. And then the counselors are in a position to then try to help them. And we offer, you know, tips uh, around how to respond to children who are, you know, are, are behaving or articulating um, negative emotional thoughts based on experiences they've had in their, in their lifetime. Um, I tell the story or retell the story uh, in the article of a young camper, a girl who anytime uh, the counselor raised her voice um, to try to get the kids attention or get them to behave, she would go into a corner and pull her knees up and bury her head. And it came to be learned that in her household, yelling uh, was frequently associated with hitting. Uh, and that was that particular child's um, adverse experiences. It's really interesting how you speak about that because all of my own personal research and, and work in the camp industry, of course, the bottom line is relationships. And that's what really makes or breaks the experience in a lot of different cases. And I think the, the same is true for a lot of youth who have experienced any form of trauma, for any youth who have different mental health conditions or mental health challenges the support that's present through those relationships is really at the end of the day, what allows a child to, to flounder or flourish at camp and in any other out of school time programs. This message is brought to you by Active Network. Private lessons and one-on-one -on -one offerings are on the rise. Does your camp management platform make it easy to set up listings, automate availability management, and take bookings for private lessons all in one place? New from Camp and Class Manager, Active Reserve makes booking one-on-one -on -one lessons a breeze with easy-to-use, mobile-friendly, private scheduling solution. Learn more at activenetwork.com forward slash ACA. Active Reserve, a better way to book. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been writing about and talking for years about the impact that camp counselors can have on children who realize that somebody other than their parents cares about them and listens to them and takes care of them. It's a profoundly powerful relationship. And sometimes it's hard to get, you know, a large room of college students to 
to appreciate the influential role that they're about to play in loco parentis uh, during the summer. For sure, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it makes me think of Search Institute's work around developmental relationships and mm -hmm. non-familial adults, the power of non-familial adults, you know, someone who's not your parent, someone who's not your aunt or uncle or cousin, but uh, another young person who is that near peer role model and you can look up to and, and form that strong relationship with, uh, even within a short span of time, a couple days a week, it's, it's huge. That's right. The Search Institute that you referenced says that every child needs at least one non-parental adult in their lives uh, to reach their full potential. And what I say to camp counselors, this summer you get to be that one person. <laughs> it's such an exciting opportunity, really. <laughs> um, so it's so interesting in, in, our, in our study, we, we looked at how those mental illness characteristics played against cognitive performance. Uh, and we looked at the key traits of memory, focus, and planning. Uh, and we've surveyed or reassessed really uh, with the Total Brain app over 1,100 high school and college students as part of the study. So we have a pretty good sample. And uh, in, in those three areas, memory, focus, and planning, um, both males and females significantly underperformed the average of 50th percentile. So for memory, it was in the 37th percentile, which is 13 percentile points below the standard average for focus. It was 37th percentile, 13 points below the standard average. And for planning, they ranked in the 34th percentile, uh, 16 percentile points below the standard average. So there's a clear link uh, between um, mental states and cognitive performance. And that's really important to understand. And, it, it, you know, Louis Gagnon, who's the CEO of Total Brain says that just reinforces the importance of mental health uh, providers um, for these ages that can, can help them uh, with their emotional states because that will lead to uh, better academic performance and boosts in, in uh, job uh, prospects and in the economy overall. That's really interesting. And I think when a lot of people hear those statistics, that information, they think about that academic learning and those academic skills, those cognitive skills that you're mentioning. Summer camp and summertime opportunities, different programs are, a lot of people think of that as a time when there's that brain loss, summer brain drain, all the different terms for it. How, how does this information come into play given the different summertime programs and opportunities? Where's the, the link here? Well, I think summertime is a great opportunity for kids to exercise their brains in ways that they don't necessarily do at school. Um, and, you know, Tom Rosenberg, the CEO of ACA, as you know, um, in uh, a recent edition of Campy Magazine talks about camps as a sort of a breeding ground for social emotional learning uh, and emphasizes how important it is to explain what that means to uh, camp counselors um, because they can teach kids how to better understand, identify, understand, and articulate their emotions and also to become more empathetic towards others. Camp is definitely a great opportunity to learn some of those non-academic skills and to take some of those academic skills that you've learned during the school year and, and try them out, put them into play in, in a different way, more of that experiential learning opportunity. Right, right. 
Definitely. Um, so as you're speaking about some of the information that's come out of the care and the total brain study, I noticed in one of the articles, it mentioned that the risk of common mental health conditions is actually 19 to 41% higher for females. I'd love if you can touch a little bit on that and maybe share a bit about what we know and, and if we know why that's the case. Well, both. Yeah. What we know is that during adolescence, girls have a much higher prevalence of depression and eating disorders and engage in more suicidal ideation and suicide attempts than do boys. Boys, on the other hand, experience more problems with anger, engage in high-risk behaviors, and die by suicide more frequently uh, than girls. So boys are more likely to die by suicide. Girls are more likely than boys to engage in suicidal ideation. Um, and we think that has to do with the methods that they, they use to end their lives with boys using more lethal um, means than, than girls. After puberty, depression rates are higher in females than in, in males. And because males, uh, excuse me, because girls typically reach puberty before boys do, they're more likely to develop depression at an earlier age than boys are. Um, and there's evidence to suggest that this depression gender gap may continue throughout uh, the life cycle. Um, also to the extent that relational well-being is essential to emotional health, we know that females tend to have more reliance on social networks than do males. Uh, and during the pandemic, many of those relationships have been strained. It may also be the case that females are more likely to identify and express emotionality than our boys. In fact, I recently did a qualitative study uh, with boys about their experience at summer camp. And it's interesting to note that they say uh, pretty uniformly that at summer camp, they can be who they really are and don't have to try to conform to some sort of societal stereotype. And they feel much more free to talk about emotionality and express a full range of emotionality, which many say they feel they cannot do in their normal everyday lives. That's an incredible insight in that when youth, boys in this case specifically, go to camp, uh, it it provides an opportunity to be their true, genuine self. They don't have to put on any sort of a mask or attempt to, to be someone different than who they truly are. I think the same is likely the case for young women and girls. And interestingly, I, um, in my previous research, had done a study about being at camp without social media. Uh, mm -hmm. And some of the adolescents that I had spoke to, uh, some of the girls actually mentioned that it's a great opportunity. It's, it's that joy of missing out on the things that are going on at home. It's that joy of being away from their phone and not having to do their makeup and their hair and, and look a certain image or a certain way because there won't be photos that are going up on social media. And so that's a great opportunity perhaps to have a bit of a social media break, a tech break, a bit of a, a mental health respite perhaps. Yeah, the summer camp I ran in Massachusetts, um... We uh, were invited by National Public Radio, NPR, to gather a group of teens and talk about, you know, on tape about their experience going, you know, device free and social media free. And pretty uniformly, the kids said that at first it was kind of an adjustment. One, one kid said he used to have phantom vibrations in his leg, thinking that his phone was vibrating, <laughs> only to realize he didn't have his phone. Um, but beyond that initial adjustment period, almost everyone, every teenager they talked to said it was great. And they really enjoyed being away from their electronic devices and being able to do what we hope they'll do at summer camp, 
which is to focus on the face-to-face -face relationship. Definitely. And some of the kids too, as well, the phone not being under their pillow any longer, they put their hand under the pillow and it's not there. Where is it? Well, it's at home. You're actually away from it. And it's a good thing. <laughs> this message is brought to you by Quest Diagnostics. Summertime means summer camp, but this year camps need help staying open safely. That's where Quest Diagnostics comes in. Their back to camp COVID-19 testing program can help summer camps return to safer, sustainable summer fun. Explore more at questbacktocamp.com. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. So as we're talking about social media, we're talking about screens, obviously with the pandemic, a lot of different interactions, whether that be school-based interactions, social interactions, out-of-school time programs, those different facets have moved online. Um, this summer, I think, is a really interesting opportunity for out-of-school time practitioners to have people in person again. Um, what do you think your study with Total Brain and Care has, has shed light on in terms of summertime programs and activities and how they can change the narrative around mental health challenges given the pandemic? Well, I think um, camps are very focused on social relationships, on community building, on all the things that kids really missed out on in this academic year learning virtually. I heard one really interesting sort of um, take on the whole virtual learning experience that was articulated by a young girl who said that um, in school, everybody's faced in the same direction. In other words, they're all looking at the teacher and the blackboard or the whiteboard. Um, but in uh, virtual learning, the attention on, is on them as an individual because that's who people are looking at and it makes them self-conscious and it raises their anxiety level. So I think summer camp is a time to sort of notch that down a bit and let kids relax and just have fun. Um, you know, sometimes we, as adults, I think, overlook the importance of kids just playing and having fun and being outdoors in nature and all of the data from ACA's uh, tremendous research initiatives support that. Um, so now more than ever, I, I, I think Tom actually wrote a piece saying now more than ever, kids need summer camp. After the year that they've been through, summer camp has never been more important. But it's important for camp people, camp directors, and even counselors to know that uh, while it will be a great experience for kids, many of them will feel anxious about reinserting themselves, re-emerging into those social environments because they're a little bit out of practice. Um, so they'll need some guidance on that. That's a great point. A lot of camps did not run last summer in summer 2020. And so for many coming back summer 2021, it's been two years since they last had their programming and a lot of things have changed. A lot of things have changed in a lot of different ways. So what are your uh, tips or tricks or any advice for different camp directors and camp counselors heading into the summer season with kids on site? Yeah, well, it'll be different. That's for sure. As you said, a lot of camps did not open. And in my experience, and I've written extensively about this, uh, many summer camps saw the choice in 2020 as a binary one. Either we open and we run our program as we've run it for the last 50 years, or we're not going to open. Um, whereas the camps that did open 
had to really exercise their creativity and come up with ways to modify their programs that accommodated COVID-19. And now those camps have a blueprint for 2021. The camps that didn't open last year and are hoping to reopen this year, and I'll give you an example, um, you know, have their work cut out for them. Um, but Brewster Day Camp in Massachusetts, uh, I think really did a stellar job. It took the summer last year when it did not open and the fall uh, to survey their camp families uh, and their camp kids uh, about what they were looking for, what, what would be helpful, um, what, what did they want the, their experiences to be. And then they spent time with their senior staff all throughout this past year recalibrating their program. So they're going to open and they're going to emerge with the same philosophy and the same goals, but they're going about it in a completely different way. Um, so camps that are operating in that fashion, I really applaud because they're doing the hard work it takes uh, to ensure that kids have the opportunity to attend summer camp and to realize the benefits of that experiential learning you were talking about. Yeah, definitely. I think some camps have kind of done an overhaul in their programming and, and made some significant changes. Other camps are running a bit more of that traditional programming, what they've always done. Um, but I think for the most part, camps are introducing different safety protocols and non-pharmaceutical interventions. So the, the cohorting or the potting, whatever you want to call it, the masks, the hand washing, the hand sanitizer, obviously all necessary. But um, do you think this changes different anxiety levels going into camp for, for young people, campers or staff? I, I do. I actually came across some data and it wasn't something I really thought of. We hear about, you know, these pods, these camper pods that they're in and they, they don't cross pollinate for, you know, two weeks or whatever the time span may be. And they do everything. They live together, they eat together, they take activities together. Uh, and then over time, the pods can begin to merge. Um, but uh, someone pointed out in an article I was reading that um, there are kids whose pods don't include their best friends. Their best friends are in other pods. <laughs> and that it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, but that causes some anxiety, some social anxiety and some trepidation. So while in, in our haste to, you know, institute CDC guidelines and protocols, which are pretty conservative at this point, um, I think we need to be mindful of the fact that uh, we want kids to feel comfortable in their groups and that they're cross-pollinated enough that they at least have some friendships in the groups that they're in. This message is brought to you by Water Monster. Water Monster provides hydration solutions for today's camping environment. Our patented tanks replace 1,000 single-use water bottles, saving labor, expense, and mess. Water Monster also offers the Ultra Spout Duo, a hands-free spout with foot pedal activation, perfect for your low-touch COVID-19 hydration plant. Learn more about our entire line of configurable hydration solutions for camps and retreat centers at watermonster.us. Watermonster, the sustainable hydration solution. I think it comes down to some of those core fundamental principles of camp that we were talking about earlier, the supportive relationships, those uh, non-familial adults and those relationships that you're building, the support that you have to, to get through this experience, to enjoy this experience and to really grow from the experience of camp. Uh, at the end of the day, camp is the same as it always was. It just has a couple added bells and whistles and <laughs> makes it a little bit different, but can still be a really transformative experience for a lot of youth who are, who are coming to camp in summer 2021. 
That's right. The fundal elements of what makes camp camp uh, are still there. That's the bedrock of, of camping. Uh, and yes, some adjustments have to be made, but that can all be done in the context of a warm, welcoming, social, emotional, uh, learning driven uh, educational experience. So Stephen, thinking about a lot of these different mental health challenges, one of the ways to overcome some of these challenges is through resilience. Um, I think that's a, a skill set that a lot of young folks are maybe missing nowadays. Yeah, uh, one of my board members at CARE, Cheryl Stump, is a college mental health therapist. And she told me that um, anxiety is the number one mental health complaint that she hears from her clients. Uh, and she believes that a lot, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they don't have resiliency skills, that they've been uh, allowed to not fail, they've been rescued, um, which as I mentioned, uh, is the subject of a recent article I wrote called Rescued or Ready, meaning that you can't really have both. If you're always being rescued, you're not gonna be ready to handle the world in front of you and handle the inevitable, you know, the inevitable problems or struggles that, that young people are gonna have. And they become almost paralyzed in that anxiety based on a lack of resiliency. So um, it, it's, it's hard to do sometimes as a parent um, to let kids fail, um, but nevertheless, it's important as long as it's not affecting their health and safety um, to allow them to experience some distress uh, and then work through that with them which will help them when they're off on their own at summer camp. That makes me think of the different parenting styles that I've recently heard of. Um, we've heard of obviously helicopter parents that's been around for a few years. In more recent years, the term lawnmower parents um, has come out and it makes me think of that type of parent that is just bubble wrapping their child and paving the way for their child, taking any sort of um, challenges out of their way and doesn't really allow them to develop those resiliency skills. That's right. That's right. Yeah, all those. And, you know, from what we know, and as you know, from uh, parenting research suggests that authorita author authoritative parents are most effective. Uh, authoritarian parents are sort of my way or the highway, whereas authoritative parents set expectations, uh, which is very important, but explain the reason behind them and why they have those um, criteria in place for their children. Right, authoritative parents allow for those challenges and recognize that their children will develop those resiliency skills and be able to get through difficult things throughout their young life and into their adult life as well. Right, and so again, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but we have to let kids experience that. We can help them through it, um, but just jumping in to save them is not in the long run helpful uh, to their child's development. For sure. And when kids go to camp, they are going to face challenges. There's no doubt about that. They will come across some things that maybe are a bit uncomfortable, something new, moving outside their comfort zone. And I think camp also helps develop those, the independent skills, but also the resiliency piece as well. Absolutely. No question about it. Great. Well, I think that brings me to the end of my questions for you today. Is there anything else that you wanted to share given all of the research and insight coming out of CARE and the Total Brain Study? Yes, in, in conclusion, I, I would say I like to look at youth and adolescent mental health through the lens of three primary developmental tasks, 
of the preteen, teenage, and young adult age groups. Uh, again, in other words, campers and staff, which are identity formation, uh, becoming more independent, uh, and peer relationships. And um, if we may remain focused on helping kids uh, in those three ways and staff, uh, we'll realize success. And the, the good news is that camps are really great at addressing uh, identity, independence, and, and positive peer relationships. Another thing that camps are really good on, at, good at, and I did a whole year of research on this, uh, are on what we call rites of passage, which in this day and age are, are you know, far and few and far between in society. Uh, whereas in, in earlier years, there were a lot more defined rites of passage that kids pass through that help them on their way to maturity and adulthood. But, it, but camps are sort of embedded with rites of passage, whether it's um, uh, awards, award systems or achievements or simply passing from one year of camp to the next um, that are really helpful for young people to take note of the fact that they are growing up and they are developing and they're becoming more competent and more able individuals uh, in, in society. I'd agree. It's definitely a developmental experience, both for youth and for staff. And it is a rite of passage. It's maybe not universal throughout the entire world, but in North America, it's definitely a common experience for many people and, and creates some really strong changes and transformative experiences for these young people. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Stephen. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. And this is the American Camp Association's podcast, Campfire. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Victoria.